Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now applying flame resistant armor. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're going to be breaking down episode three of Obi-Wan, and we'll also be reviewing season four of Stranger Things, volume one. Plus, we're talking AEW's Double or Nothing and the Aftermath. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, Christian, as noted last week, we were only able to really cover the news coming out of the first day of Star Wars Celebration. So let's go ahead and break down the rest of the news coming out of the weekend. While Star Wars continues to have huge success on the small screen, Kathleen Kennedy during the Star Wars Celebration made sure to let us know that Star Wars is still coming back to theaters. And soon with the word of Taika Waititi's feature film being set for late 2023, at least for now, as nothing has exactly been set in stone. Yeah, it does seem like she made a point that, you know, Taika's film would be coming out first. Um, I don't know about that, like, 2023 release date, though. Mm -hmm. Especially, like, it feels like they're just in pre-production. So I I feel like that's just ambitious at best. Um, But hopefully I'm wrong. No, I'm I'm also looking at probably mid-2024. If they were to start production in, like, two months yeah from now. i mean I'd, they'd have to yeah if anything give yourself a cushion right <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know announce it for like oh i'll probably come out in like 2024 2025 and that way if it does show up early great everyone's excited because otherwise you're just gonna have a lot of pissed off fans when you know 2023 does pass and we don't have any new star wars in the theater uh because at this point we don't even have like a working synopsis for what the film's about right no. I, I don't know, man. It, it doesn't feel like they're that far along in production for it to hit that date. And maybe we're wrong. Maybe, the, you know, they have half the film already made, you know, in the can. And we're just clueless. But, I mean, they've never been that good at keeping things under wraps. So I can't imagine that. I will say, though, I'm, I am kind of happy that it seems like she's kind of committed to, like, some kind of, you know, roadmap at this point for these film releases. Um but I don't know, maybe that's just kind of her way of holding off the hounds. Kathleen Kennedy also talked some future Disney Plus series as well, bringing us an update on the Lando series announced a while back. Uh, Kennedy states the series is still in the works and looks to have Donald Glover star, even after her most recent claims of you know not wanting to recast any old Star Wars characters. Kennedy, in an interview with GamesRadar, seemed to kind of walk back those statements saying, never say never. Yeah, because that statement's kind of stupid, right? Like, we're literally watching a series uh-huh. right now about Obi-Wan who's been recasted. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, but still. Yeah, it's not like the show stars Alex Guinness. So, I mean, they've already done plenty of recasting at this point. I guess she was trying to say more. They're not looking to recast Luke and Leia. But at the same time, I... Aren't they kind of already it, doing that in The Mandalorian, you know, in uh, Book of Boba Fett? In a way. <laughs> Come on. 
I think she just put her foot in her mouth. In other Star Wars series news, during Celebration there was footage for the Ahsoka series that debuted that you know not only gave us fans some shots of Ahsoka in different locations, but delighted fans with a shot of the Star Wars Rebels ship, the Ghost, with its beloved Captain Hera Syndulla. Though the shots of each character that were shown off in this trailer were from behind, so we don't actually know who's playing Hera just yet. Uh, Sabine could also be seen in a similar position, looking on at one of her murals of the Ghost crew, but we all already know she's going to be played by Natasha Bardizzo. Hey, how amazing is it that we're getting a live action sequel basically to the Rebels, you know, animated series? Um, no, it's crazy. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. That's <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, I would never imagine that in a, a thousand years. So, but it's a real testament, like how much fans really love that show. Speaking of Ahsoka, we got a glimpse of baby Ahsoka in the upcoming animated anthology series, Tales of the Jedi. These six episode series will apparently feature the origins of Ahsoka with three episodes dedicated to her, not only as a baby, but a child and then adult, making her one of the main plot threads throughout the entire show. Another character reported by Illuminerity set to join the anthology series will be Mace Windu that will feature a story between him and a younger Count Dooku before his turn to the dark side. They even went on to claim that other characters like Yaddle will be joining the series along with Qui-Gon Jinn that we'll also see being trained by Dooku. Yeah, this is actually scheduled to come out this fall which I was really surprised about. I mean, we heard rumors uh, of this series uh, like months ago, but I just didn't realize they were already like currently working on it, you know, because th that must be the case if it's going to like, you know, come out just what in like three months. So um, mm -hmm. I love Ahsoka and everything, and it'll be cool to see kind of like her backstory. But at the same time, I mean, what, like Kid Fisto can't get any love here? Like, can we? <laughs> I was just kind of hoping that we'd get more of the, you know, obscure Jedi stories that we like the, the Jedi that we don't really know that much about. Um, you know, kind of like play it on the screen here. Well, I was wondering if they're doing this because it's a way to like have people skip Rebels. Like if you just tell Ahsoka's story or skip like her backstory and the other shows. As like a, just like a cheat sheet. Maybe, but obviously if that's the case, they don't know their fans too well. Because, I mean, with everything we know about the Ahsoka series, there's no way any Star Wars fan isn't going to go back and like dive into Rebels, you know, knowing what we know now. Um, and you'd be a fool not to. I mean, it's an awesome series. Mm. So, and I, I, you can't do that much legwork in an episode, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh -huh. So, I mean, and there's a million videos out there that can, you know do that legwork for you on YouTube, really, if you want to be that lazy. But I mean, I suggest you go out and, you know, catch up on your Rebels because you're, you're definitely going to need it. Yeah, but hopefully this is an ongoing series so we can, like, like I said, air out some of those more obscure Jedi stories. I mean, they're already starting it with a Yaddle, you know, episode, right? Uh -huh. so, <laughs> but it's a, a cool concept, you know, doing like an anthology series, you know, just filled with, you know, Jedi. And this is all supposed to be like prequel era stories, correct? Yes. Okay. Mm hmm. That wasn't the only animated Star Wars news we got as a new series was announced for Young Jedi Adventures coming to Disney+. This one is set to be in the High Republic era following a group of younglings learning from Yoda on their way to become Jedi. It is apparently aimed for, you know, early grade schoolers along with preschoolers and is currently slated for a spring 2023 release. Sounds like a cute concept, but I mean, I don't think they really know their 
grade school age fans very well, because like my daughter is already completely caught up on the Obi Wan series, and like waited for <laughs> bated with bated breath for Episode Four. So, <laughs> but regardless, I mean, it's a great like gateway, you know, I suppose to get newer Star Wars fans uh-huh. into you know the franchise. Because I mean, my daughter used uh, Forces of Destiny really you know, to really kick off our fandom. So, yeah, I thought that was a great series. I was actually hoping they would announce that was making a comeback. Uh, this really sounds like a kind of like magic school bus type of show. Okay. Uh, the way that they've so described it. So it's more like it, preschoolers, it's... probably, I'm guessing. Yeah. Because I'm sure if I like told uh, my daughter about this, she'd say it's baby stuff uh-huh. and not want anything <laughs> to do with it. And also for you big kids out there, Star Wars Vision Season 2 is on its way, which is also set for a spring 2023 release. No word on if it's going to be the same studios that worked on the previous season, but I'm definitely interested in some more Star Wars anime. Alright Christian, as predicted, we also got a teaser trailer for the upcoming Season 2 of The Bad Batch, which was announced to be debuting in the fall of this year. You can buy your freedom. You can have a future. Isn't that what you're after? We're already free. Clearly, you're not paying attention to what's happening out there. It is time for a new era. All right, so we're not going to do a full breakdown because, I mean, this was very much a teaser trailer, um, you know, and a lot of the scenes like we'd have to literally slow down to kind of get any kind of detail whatsoever out of it. Um, It was very much a quick cut like kind of trailer, um, you know, just undescriptive, you know, moments of action. Uh, But, you know, the the things that I could make out, at least, I mean, we, we, you know, see the Bad Batch. Fucking Sid is back for some reason, uh, but I'm not going to bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I did enough of that the first season. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, they, they seem to be rocking, uh, you know, a different color scheme, um, you know, to uh-huh. you know, trick me into buying more toys, uh, which will probably end up working. Uh, Omega still, you don't need for to be some tricked. reason, does not have armor of her own. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel like they'd be like parents out there riding bikes with their kids and the parents have like helmets on and the kid is just like rocking, you know, no gear whatsoever. Like how irresponsible uh-huh. is it that they're taking her out on missions and she has no <laughs> protection whatsoever except for a new little hat that she's wearing. So, but anyway, <laughs> bad parenting aside, uh, Omega does look older. I thought she looked a little bit like uh, maybe a couple years older or so. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how much time has passed. Uh, we do get a shot of, you know, stormtroopers in, uh, it looks like proto gear from like the video games, perhaps. Um, I know, I only know this because of the action figures, by the way. Like, I, I'm mm. not a gamer. So I was like, wait, it's like, I've seen <laughs> this gear just from like the Black Series figures. So I don't know if you can like shed any like, you know, uh, light on where they're from exactly. I mean, for me, they remind me a lot of the Republic Commando game of figures, like not figures, but uh, like how their armor looked. Okay. So I'm wondering if they're supposed to be like some type of newer version of the Republic Commandos, probably for the Empire, but I don't know. Maybe like this is the next like transitional phase Uh of Stormtrooper. Um, that we're getting because we haven't seen like you know true blue stormtroopers yet in the series so um, i'm sure that's going to be something they hold off you know for a season or so also to me it looked like we got like a brief glimpse of hera uh but i mean it's such a quick flash uh 
and I haven't watched any breakdown videos yet, so I haven't been able to see any uh-huh. like slow down footage, <laughs> obviously. But I mean, we do know that we saw a younger version of the character in season one, so I wouldn't be surprised that you know she doesn't show up in season two, especially since she establishes a relationship with Omega. Um, it only makes sense. And there was also a moment with that youngling uh, Wookiee from Clone Wars uh, sparking up his lightsaber. So apparently he survived somehow. So maybe we'll get that whole backstory. Mm-hmm. And there's some adult Wookiees we see later on. So maybe I don't know if they're going to go to the Wookiee planet or not. Yeah. Oh, maybe like take him back to the, you know, Wookiee planet, you know, like, you know, give him safe passage or whatever, since I'm mm-hmm. sure he's being hunted along with the rest of the Jedi. But otherwise, like I said, it just feels like a bunch of like indescriptive, like action sequences, you know, just kind of all, you know, put together in a montage clip. So, uh, it's really hard to really dive too deep into it. I'm sure we're going to get it like a proper trailer sooner than later, though, since it's supposed to be premiering in the fall sometime. So um, we did get a brief moment, too, with Crosshair and his elite guard um, armor. So he's probably back on the hunt, um, you know, but it'll be curious to see like where that character's at after the events of the finale of season one. You know, is his heart still in like hunting down his brothers or, you know, is he kind of more torn? Um, But yeah, I mean, that's really it. I'm excited for this series, though. Like I said, like I've gone back and actually watched it again with my daughter and really did enjoy it um, more than the first time. I mean, regardless of the sit of it all. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I'm I'm excited that, you know, we're going to get more, you know, Bad Batch this year. I'm sure they're going to owe Sid more money. You know, that's going to be the main plot. God damn it. Because <laughs> it does sound like, you know, she's trying to offer them, you know, their freedom. Um, uh-huh. It's like, oh, how could they still possibly be working for her at this point? <laughs> All right. In non-Star Wars related news, uh, Marvel Studios is searching for a big name director for the upcoming Fantastic Four movie. With Watts out of the Fantastic Four reboot, Feige is still in looks for its next big name to fill in as director. Justin Kroll from Variety has been tweeting out some updates on the current process for picking the next director. Uh, to paraphrase some of the tweets, Kroll talks about you know Marvel having a large list of potentials for the position, and that a decision won't be reached all that quickly. Many fans are still pointing at John Krasinski to take the helm, but it seems that Marvel is going to take their time in picking the right director. And after all, the Fantastic Four is a very important group for them, so I imagine they want to keep their options open in case they need someone that can handle the grand scope of whatever they're going to be doing, especially with Secret Wars on the horizon. Also, another thing that Justin Crowe mentioned in his tweets, which I found interesting, was the fact that one of the reasons why Feige's looking for a more established director is because he wants to, once again, take kind of a more hands-off approach to this film like he did with, uh, you know, Multiverse of Madness, you know, where, you know, we had Sam Raimi at the helm. So I'm guessing that kind of, you know, lessened the workload for Faki, where, you know, Mm -hmm. typically they hire younger, like upstart um, directors. My guess is at this point, you know, Foggy, you know, with Marvel's ever growing, you know, slate of projects is just looking for a more trusted visionary where he doesn't have to necessarily like hold their hands, you know, throughout the project. And he probably needs some time to work on his own Star Wars movie. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a lot of shit going on, right? Uh-huh. But like I said, a couple of weeks back, I would love to see Spielberg, you know, take over the director's chair. 
Um, I just feel like he does like, you know, family units, no pun intended, in like fantastical situations so well that the Fantastic Four would definitely be in his wheelhouse. Um, and he's not one of those like old hats who, you know, just passionately hate on like, you know, the comic book, like film genre. So, I mean, why not? He just has to be willing to work in the confines of, you know, the MCU's continuity. But anyway, up next, filming has begun on the Mad Max Fury Road prequel, Furiosa, starring Anna Taylor-Joy. MCU star Chris Hemsworth this past week posted an image announcing the start of George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road prequel, Furiosa. The prequel starring Anya Taylor-Joy instead of Charlize Theron will be, you know, spanning many years of the character's life in comparison to the three-day hell ride that we got from Fury Road. Furiosa right now is still set for a May 24th, 2024 release. All right, and lastly, uh, the Twisted Metal series has casted it's Sweet Tooth. Looks like the talented Arrested Development and Lego Batman star Will Arnett will be playing the face of the Twisted Metal series as Sweet Tooth. As announced by Peacock, Arnett's portrayal will be a hilarious and terrifying hulk of a man who is as emotional as he is cunning. A lover of chaos, this majestic rage-filled killer dons an ever-smiling clown mask and uses Lost Vegas as his own personal kill ground, all while he drives his infamous doomsday ice cream truck. Personally, I'm not too impressed by the casting, but if written right, I think Arnett can pull off the more sadistic nature of Sweet Tooth. I'm just not convinced at the moment. All right, Christian, well, maybe this will help you out. Uh, this actually just broke as we were recording. Apparently, Samoa Joe is going to be actually handling the physicality of the role. So he's going to be the okay. physical presence on the series with Will Arnett just providing the voice. So it's going to be kind of like James Earl Jones voicing Darth Vader, if you will. Which is interesting because I feel like Samoa Joe on his own is capable of playing Sweet Tooth. Right? Because <laughs> honestly, when I saw his name pop up and I kind of forgot that this was in an animated series because mm -hmm. I know Joe has done a bunch of like voiceover work. So I was like, oh, he's got a great voice. He's going to nail whatever role they give him. But then when I, you know, actually read the article, uh, which I suggest doing, uh, <laughs> they go into the fact that, you know, he's going to be actually physically playing Sweet Tooth with Arnett, you know, doing the voiceover. So I thought that was kind of a strange choice, but I guess if they're looking for more of a comedic, you know, darker character, uh, you know, I mean, Arnett's great and we know about his comedic timing. I think he's, mm -hmm. you know, one of my top five Batman of all time. <laughs> uh, you know, I just love Lego Batman. And I mean, I think he'll be awesome in this role. Honestly, I just had a hard time wrapping my head around him actually coming off as menacing. But now that you have like Joe pulling off the physicality of the role, I mean, I feel like it makes sense. And it's probably going to end up being a really good marriage. Yeah, it's one of those characters that, you know, you never are going to see his actual face. So it makes sense to have another voice if you want to do something a little probably more high pitched than what Samoa Joe is capable of. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we'll see what other characters they bring in, if they're going to do the full roster or not. We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, and we both know that Joe can be terrifying when he wants to be. Oh, so. yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and break down episode three of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series ahead. You have been warned. Prove yourself, and the position of Grand Inquisitor is yours. 
Fail me, and you will not live to regret it. We open up episode 3 with Obi-Wan reflecting on the knowledge of Anakin being alive, and trying to reach out to Master Qui-Gon for guidance as he and Leia make it across the galaxy on a transport ship. And juxtaposed with Obi-Wan's memories, we see Big Bad Vader getting suited up. Yeah, at this point, you know Qui-Gon is definitely showing up at some point during the series. I'm guessing at, like, you know, probably Obi-Wan's lowest moment, where he comes in and gives him a pep talk, you know, right before Obi-Wan, you know, has this big final battle against Vader, you know, or saves Leia. Uh, but like I said last week, I think they're doing a great job of showing how desperate and just, you know, all together broken and hopeless Obi-Wan is, you know, during this time period. And maybe he won't make that connection until he starts to really find his way again, because this is a, a very different version of Obi-Wan than we've ever seen before. Inside Vader's castle on Mustafar, Reva reports in via hologram to Vader. Vader makes it clear the hunt for Kenobi surpasses any wrongdoing or anything that could have possibly happened to the Grand Inquisitor, and Vader even offers the Grand Inquisitor's position to Reva if she succeeds in locating Obi-Wan. First of all, there's no way that Vader doesn't realize that Reva's lying. Right. Oh, yeah. He just doesn't care. He just doesn't give a shit, right? <laughs> like, he's just uh -huh. using it to manipulate her more, I'm guessing. Just the fact that she's able to talk to him like this, though, makes me feel like they do have some sort of, like, established relationship. And maybe that kind of explains why she knows that he is Anakin. Because um, I still can't really, you know, wrap my head around that. Um, because, I mean, from everything that we've known in the past... Uh, and they might just say, well, screw that. You know, it, that's not continuity anymore. Because it does feel like they play a little fast and loose with continuity sometimes when it suits them. I mean, we just saw them do it in the Book of Boba Fett series with, you know, Black Chrysanthemum. Um, you know, his story was a little different than what we've, you know, witnessed in the comics. But maybe, you know, Vader chose to reveal, you know, his true identity to her because he, you know, sensed just how passionately, like, Reva hates Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he chose to use that, like, blind hatred, you know, to finally hunt Obi-Wan down. Back on the transport, Obi-Wan fixes Leia's droid as she inquires about, you know, how the Force actually feels. The two of them go on to arrive at Mapuzo, an Imperial mining planet. Obi-Wan, while sticking to the route, shows a clear discomfort of their current plans by being a little short with Leia when she asks why Obi-Wan thinks Haja would lie to them. But perhaps his real discomfort comes from his fear of Vader, as when he looks out into the fields, he sees a vision of Anakin in the distance. Yeah, he's all kinds of fucked up, right? <laughs> It was pretty jarring at first, you know, the way how quick he was to snap on Leia. But then when I put into his mindset where he's you know, kind of freaking out about Anakin, I guess I can get it a little bit more. But the fact that he's like seeing like visions of him, you yeah. know, staring off uh -huh. in the distance. I don't know. I, you know, he's truly haunted. And I'm not going to lie, like I'm not a huge prequel fan at all. And if you listen to the show, you know that. But it was pretty cool seeing like Hayden Christensen like in, you know, the robes again. At the Inquisitor's Fortress on Nur, Fifth Brother challenges Reva as a power struggle begins amongst the Inquisitors, with the Grand Inquisitor being gone now. With orders from Vader, Reva commands them to send out probes to find Obi-Wan. I'm sure this is all part of Vader's plan too, to like really like cause a lot of dissension in the ranks, you know, so he can further manipulate the Inquisitors. Um, it only makes sense, and it's kind of what we've seen before in the past in the comics. I don't know if you caught this. At the end of this scene, there's a little moment between Fifth Brother and uh, Reva where 
you know, he says something, and I'm paraphrasing, like, I'll get what's owned to me. And then he walks away, and then Reva, like, says the same thing. But I don't know, like, the look on her face, I just feel like there's more layers to her motives than what we've seen so far. I speculated last week that maybe the long game for her is not only taking down Obi-Wan, but also Vader. Like, maybe she's using this to get closer to Vader so she can also take him out. Because, like, why would she only blame Obi-Wan? And we haven't Mm -hmm. seen her full, like, origin story yet, so maybe there's a very good reason for that. Um, Or maybe she has other motives that, you know, they just haven't, you know, really shown us yet. But I don't know, like, this moment made me feel like she might be working an angle here and that everything's just not what it seems. With no one showing up at the rendezvous spot, Obi-Wan's frustrations and stress seem to be at an all-time high, but the hopeful Leia decides to flag down a nearby transport being driven by an alien named Freck, who seems to be loyal to the Empire, but more than willing to help his fellow farmer. Yeah, like, holy shit, talk about being impatient. Like, he waited, like, a total of, like, a minute? Yeah, Maybe? it was annoying. <laughs> My guess is that was like to show just how stressed out and at this point, how cynical he's become. Uh, uh-huh. Because I was like, dude, like, <laughs> give it a give it a second at least, Obi-Wan. You have to imagine if the Empire was going to pick them up, it would have been as soon as they landed. I mean, it's an Imperial controlled planet. There was no reason for them to like have to wait to get to the rendezvous point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now pretending to be Orden and Luma, the two of them end up having to ride along with a squad of stormtroopers as Freck offers to transport them to their base on the way as well. Apparently, these troopers are looking for Obi-Wan, but Leia and Obi-Wan do a great job of covering each other as they make a few inconsistent comments in front of the troopers. As even Obi-Wan calls her Leia instead of Luma, but lies claiming she reminds him so much of her mother, whose name was Leia. After Freck drops off the stormtroopers, Leia claims Obi-Wan knows maybe a little bit more about her than she originally thought, and maybe even knew who her mother was, even going as far to assume that Obi-Wan may actually be her real dad. This all coming from her gut instincts that may be a display of her force sensitivity. However, Obi-Wan is quick to dispel her theory and tells her of his own possible family he had before joining the Jedi Order, and that he can only remember them through small visions. I really liked this moment, um, and I agree with you. It it does feel like she has some kind of, like, deeper intuition uh, when it comes to things. I think that was kind of displayed in the first or second episode where she like completely like demolishes her cousin and like uh-huh. rips out his soul <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I think this was more of the same so yeah I feel like this is like her force sensitivity like being on display and I thought this was a real touching moment and this is more information we got from Obi-Wan's like backstory than I believe we've ever gotten before, right? Oh yeah, as far as like having a brother in that, I don't think they've ever mentioned that in any of the prequels. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if they ever choose to do anything, you know, with like the information we got here. Like we do know originally, I guess, Obi-Wan was going to be Uncle Owen's brother, uh, but they completely scrapped that when they moved from the original trilogy over to the uh, prequels. But it actually made like the novelization uh, of, uh-huh. uh, yeah. <laughs> I believe, uh, Return of the Jedi, right? Could you imagine nowadays if they would have done that? Like how, like, on fire the internet would be? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you fucked up the continuity. You ruined Star Wars. 
the two of them end up at an Imperial checkpoint right before entering the spaceport. There, some stormtroopers question Obi-Wan's business being here, and it seems that one of the probes sent out by the Inquisitors scans him, revealing that he is the Jedi that they are looking for, which leads Obi-Wan to quickly dispatch the troopers and Freck. And after getting past them, plus this kind of avoidable checkpoint in general, Reinforcements actually end up arriving, but the Imperial officer with them suddenly turns on her troops and helps them escape to the port. And like to be clear here, like she is actually an Imperial officer who just like happens to be like fighting the good fight, like like a sleeper cell type deal. Even watching it the second time, I wasn't 100% sure. So I'm not going to say yes, but maybe because <laughs> she's like running her own like underground to get like jedi out right yeah and she has all these different costumes so i assume that they were for different like positions if she needed to get into oh them. maybe okay yeah because at first i was like because she mentions that she's made bad choices so i didn't know if it was a case of her like you know joining the empire but then regretting it and like working from the inside uh, which i think is actually more interesting you know, of a choice, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know. Maybe they'll clear that up, you know, in later episodes. Before we can learn anything more about our helpful Imperial officer, Tala, we actually find out that the Inquisitors received a signal from that said probe. It turns out that Tala was Haja's contact meant to help them at the original coordinates, but couldn't get out to them in time. Not that Obi-Wan actually waited for anyone to show up anyway, but inside Tala's hideout, we meet Ned B, a loader droid that guards her safe house. So I did see online that a lot of people were speculating that, like, there was someone actually in this droid suit. Like, it's basically a person in disguise as a droid. Um, I feel like that's really far-fetched. <laughs> and maybe I'm wrong, hmm. but people were saying, like, oh, maybe this is actually Wrecker or uh, Rex. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that that sounds like wishful thinking at best. Um, and I could, I could see where they're coming from just because of the way... Like, the droid moves, it's very human-like, you know, more so than what we've seen in the past from droids, but I don't know, man. It, like I said, it feels far-fetched to me. I think it's just a bad performance. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> Tali goes on to explain that she helps people find the path, as it's called, and that she has actually helped assist Jedi and younglings before. And while she's telling us this, Obi-Wan looks around the room and actually notices several call signs and things left by other Jedi, along with a message written by Jedi Master Quinlan Voss. While I enjoyed this moment, I thought it was cool for Obi-Wan to find out that there are other Jedi who've survived Order 66, and I think it'll go a long way to like inspire him in the long run. But with that being said, I couldn't help but think just how absolutely idiotic it is for these Jedi to sign their names onto a fucking wall for, <laughs> the, yeah. for the Empire to find, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like, I mean, Quinlan Voss was here. Like, that's pretty much what we're, what we're getting on this wall. Doesn't sound like a I good idea, point, right? I mean, I guess the point would be like if uh, they're seeing this, that path has already been screwed. Think of it that way. Like they won't use it ever again, maybe. But why tell them like, oh, I'm out there. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, come hunt me down. <laughs> uh -huh, exactly. I don't know. But I mean, nitpicking <laughs> aside, uh, I think it's cool that Quinlan Voss is survived and we know he's out there. Um Hopefully we get to see him in live action form. I know we get like a brief moment of him 
in like Phantom Menace of like just sitting. Uh-huh. I still wonder if that's actually supposed to be him. But I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> he's got a couple cool episodes in the Clone Wars. And I think this actually happens in one of the Star Wars novels. But Voss actually turns to the dark side and he's like in some kind of relationship with Ventress, I believe. Uh, she's able to like redeem him, but she dies in doing so at the, by the hands of uh, Dooku. So he's definitely a character who has layers to him. And I could see them using him to get Obi-Wan back on the right path. Uh, but I also secretly hope they totally just retcon the whole Ventress thing and she's still alive and shows up. <laughs> Somewhere out there. In this, you know, series or another series, because I love that character and I would love to see her in live action. Uh, and I'm sure at some point we will eventually, in, you know, some other series. But uh, who knows? Uh, in his message, he brought up the way... And a lot of speculation has now been brought up online of, is this going to be the guy that saves Grogu? Is there going to be some type of tie-in with the Mandalorian? Thanks to Cornelius. Or, Quit. how do you ever you say his name, Voss? <laughs> Quinlan. Quinlan Voss. Quinlan, there Cor- we go. There Cornelius. We go. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst Jedi name ever. <laughs> I mean, listen, we know Favreau likes to shoehorn Baby Yoda in these series (laughs) so i wouldn't be surprised but i don't know eventually we're gonna see that moment like who saves you know baby yoda i feel like that's gonna be something that they save for the mandalorian but i mean i could be wrong i mean we got luke fucking skywalker in the book of boba fett so yes anything is possible (laughs) nowadays that's true this moment is interrupted however when a stormtrooper comes knocking ned b while armed with a hammer lets the troopers in but they don't notice what he's carrying and also can't find anything you know in this safe house but with it being clear that they are compromised tala rushes her contact to get his ship ready immediately before entering some secret tunnels that tala has that will actually lead them to their ship, Obi-Wan is stunned by a sudden feeling. This, of course, being the dark presence of Vader. Here, Obi-Wan looks out the window, getting his first glimpse of Vader suited up, which Vader can clearly sense. Choosing to attack citizens to get Obi-Wan to come out, Vader begins killing and torturing people around him as he begins to near Obi-Wan's hiding spot. Holy shit, this was fucking metal, man. (laughs) Brutal. I mean, this was straight out of a horror film. It felt like Obi-Wan was hiding from, like, Michael Myers or something. Yes. Um, (laughs) You could really feel his, like, fear just, like, consuming him. And that's why you have a great actor like Ewan McGregor, you know, playing the part um, for moments like this. Uh, I I just love how ruthless Vader is. And the fact that this is, like, the first time, you know, Obi-Wan's seen Anakin suited up as Vader and, like, the monster that he's really become... I mean, just the moment alone when he pulls that kid out of the hut and breaks his neck, you know, trying to, like, draw a reaction from Obi-Wan just shows how ruthless Vader really is. This is when Obi-Wan decides to send Leia and Tala on their way, choosing to hopefully distract Vader and the Inquisitors by running off to a mining area nearby. Obi-Wan is stopped in his tracks, though, when he is met by the ignited lightsaber of Vader. Obi-Wan attempts to keep his distance, but like a horror villain, Vader continues to stalk and approach his prey. And just the way Obi-Wan is running, you could really feel like how terrified he is and like how he's just not ready for this confrontation at all. No, I got real final girl with her leg kind of twisted right away from the villain vibes. He does not want to engage with Vader at all. No. (laughs) 
Meanwhile on the run, Leia decides to stop and ask Tala to actually help Obi-Wan because she fears for his life. Tala ultimately decides to separate from Leia and send her on her way, while completely unaware that the Inquisitors are searching the nearby area, and even Reva herself ends up discovering Tala's safe house. I know we haven't talked about it this episode, but I, I love the portrayal of Leia here, that even at a young mm -hmm, age, yes. she's still always the one who's really in charge. I mean, it's just so true to the character. No, yeah, it, it definitely feels like a good mixture between who Leia becomes and like those glimpses of like Padme and her past. No, I agree 100%. As long as we don't get any more like ridiculously like slow chase scenes where grown men for some reason can't catch this 10 year old on foot. Uh, I've, you know, I'm loving everything we got from this character. Obi-Wan continues to lead Vader away from the spaceport, but Vader catches up, forcing them to cross blades. Obi-Wan does everything he can to keep at a distance, but Vader is never far away. And eventually, he stops Obi-Wan in his tracks once more, holding him with the force in the air this time. Vader knocks over some nearby mined minerals and lights them on fire, proceeding to drag Obi-Wan through the flame in a symbolic way to their battle on Mustafar. Yeah, well, well this was horrifying. I mean, talk about the ultimate revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the fact that he just like, he, he doesn't totally like engulf him in the flames either. Like he just kind of like leaves him there, like slowly, like smoldering and burning. Yeah. <laughs> just enjoying like, you know, every ounce of Obi-Wan's pain. I mean, it's pretty fucked up shit. And once again, really like shows what a monster, you know, Vader really is. So do you think they're going to use this, like, you know, grave injury to explain how Obi-Wan goes from looking like Ewan McGregor to old-ass Alex Guinness? I mean, stress ages a man, you know, it, that could be a good excuse. It's only, like, <laughs> 10 years, right? He goes from being, like, in his mid-40s to being in his, like, 60s, you know, mid-60s uh -huh. in 10 years. So, it, it, I don't know. Because, I mean, even after this scene, we don't really see any, like, burns to Obi-Wan, like, when they pull him away. Like, I don't, I don't, I didn't see him actually, like, Yeah, but we don't get, like, a close-up shot. I guess not. I don't know, I just felt like they were trying to do that in Book of Boba Fett with Boba, like, you know, in the Sarlacc pit, you know, with all the, you know, acid, in acid scars yeah. in the back to tank. <laughs> because it just feels like Boba wouldn't be that age at that point in Return of the Jedi, and I could be wrong. I haven't done the math. So I'm wondering if this is more of the same, but I could be completely off, and I'm sure I am. As long as they don't do anything cheesy where, like, his hair turns, like, white just out of fear from seeing Darth Vader. Uh -huh. As Vader continues to burn Obi-Wan, some stormtroopers arrive, and eventually Vader lets go, sending some troopers to go tie up Obi-Wan. But Tala ends up shooting them down as Ned B comes in for the rescue. And then Vader kind of just watches as Obi-Wan gets dragged off. All the while, Leia has actually reached the end of the tunnel, but instead of finding her transport, she's met by Reva, who has clearly murdered the pilot that was meant to take them off planet as our episode comes to a close. Is it Reva or Reva, Christian? It's Reva. I just, <laughs> I, I get it mixed up in my own head, all right? That's understandable. Uh, yeah, I definitely bumped up against Vader just watching Obi-Wan, like, slowly escape when he could totally just, like, force pull him through the fire. Right? Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> jump over the fire if he wanted to. But instead, they just, like, slowly drag Obi-Wan off as Vader watches, and I didn't understand what he was doing. You know, I mean, some people were talking about, like, oh, well, maybe Vader is scared of fire, but, I mean, he lives on Mustafar. 
And can he really be afraid of the fire that he literally just lit two seconds ago, too? And I'm pretty sure it's established in continuity that his whole suit is supposed to be, like, completely impervious to, like, any kind of, like, damage. Like, it's, like, everything proof, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't get it. Unless, like, Vader has, like, a bigger, like, plan in the works. And he figures that, you know, Obi-Wan is now out in the open and he could use him as bait or... But that, I mean, that just wouldn't make any sense for the character because the amount of rage that he would feel towards Obi-Wan, you know, he would... He blames him for what happened to, like, Padme and for his own, like, downfall. So I just... I, I don't know. It, it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, for all intents and purposes, he had Obi-Wan dead to rights. It doesn't really make sense why he wouldn't have just dragged him closer to him and left. Especially, like, I felt like this series was going to go in a direction where, like, Obi-Wan was going to end up in the Inquisitor's, like, um, like trap. And they're being trying to turn him into an Inquisitor. That's kind of the route Whoa. I thought they would go with that. I See, I don't even think Vader would allow that to happen. I think he would cut mm. him down. He would see him too much of a threat, and he would be completely consumed by his own hatred for Obi-Wan. Maybe he keeps him around to torture for a couple years, but in the long run, he's going to do nothing but murder him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe over and over again. <laughs> um, overall, I didn't expect to get like a full-blown Vader scene sequence, at least this early in the show. Uh, but I'm happy we did, and I'm assuming that means we're going to get more Vader down the road, if, if not, like, a bigger sequence. No, absolutely. There, there's no way this was their final, like, confrontation of the series. Like, I'm guessing we're going to get, like, a huge final battle between these two during the last episode, where Obi-Wan, you know, finds his groove and regains hope again. Like I said earlier, I'm sure that moment's going to come after he makes contact with Qui-Gon for the first time. And that, along with, you know... Leia and all the different people that he's met along, you know, his journey in this series is going to, like, inspire him to, you know, face his fear and take a stand against Vader. Ah, so the ultra happy ending, I see. I mean, well, not really, since, you know, Vader does go on to kill, you know, millions more, you know, blowing up Leia's, you know, planet eventually and <laughs> raiding terror across the galaxy for years to come. I don't see your point. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, ultra happy. <laughs> I'm guessing next episode two, we get more of Riva's like backstory. I'm sure there's going to be that moment where Leia like somehow pulls it out of her. Mm -hmm. Since we've seen that kind of already, like she has the intuition and like she can kind of like read your soul. And maybe that's just mm -hmm. wanting to murder Obi-Wan. Who knows? <laughs> I agree with that theory. I think it's going to be one of those situations where like she could possibly turn good by the end i think there's a possibility for that like she has a good motive star wars loves the redemption arcs right uh-huh especially since we've seen that in uh, other inquisitors as well in storylines where like they you know they were tortured into this you know mm. this is something that they you know was brought out of them so there's a still a want to be good there but anyway join us next week as we break down episode four of obi-wan and now a quick word from our sponsor manscape Summer is coming, the sun is shining, shirts are off, and your balls are smooth. You heard that right. Your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your beach balls are as smooth as Floridian sand. In the summer, you want to kill some cold beers and barbecues, not kill the vibe with pubes peeking out of your swim trunks. 
That's why Manscaped has their Performance Package 4.0 to keep the part of your pants looking crisp and refreshing all summer long. Dive headfirst into summer by joining the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow. It's summertime, gents, and if you're trying to get lucky during convention season, make sure your Ewoks are high and tight. Maybe someone will want to touch your yub-yubs. That's right, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bond. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Prep Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. Their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. And did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? From the shower to the lake, from your chest scruff all the way down to your ball throw, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer around. Once your downstairs weeds are taken care of, look after the rest with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Before heading outside, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat. With a soothing aloe vera formula, it's the best in the business for below the waist freshness. This clear drying formula will keep you in tip top shape even at the hottest barbecue or the longest convention line. And Manscaped's even throwing in two free gifts with their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag that will bring your comfort to another level. Want to take your grooming game even further? Take a look at Manscaped Shears 2.0, a package that has everything you need to look pristine. Nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. With the performance package your balls will be ready to impress but make sure you cover the rest with the shears 2.0 and you'll be ready to perform from head to toe so listeners get 20 percent off plus free shipping with our code 20 nerd show at manscaped.com that's right 20 percent off plus free shipping with our code 20 nerd show at manscaped.com this is the summer to turn your package into the full package with manscaped well, Christian, I wasn't able to dedicate 30 hours of my week, yo, to this show. So you have a review for us this week. That's right. Thanks to COVID, I was able to watch seven straight episodes of Volume 1 of Stranger Things Season 4. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1 ahead. You have been warned. Bitchin', right? Yeah, yeah, bitchin'. We're a team. Friends. Let's well, gonna be up to us again. Nine months after the events at Starcourt Mall, the separated friend group must face a new supernatural threat known as Vecna. Stranger Things is created by the Duffer Brothers and stars Millie Bobby Brown, Finn Wolfhard, and Winona Ryder. As the trailer theme song suggests, our squad of monster fighters went their separate ways, telling about four different story arcs in Stranger Things Season 4. And while Millie Bobby Brown may think that there's way too many characters, the Duffer Brothers have been showing off their storytelling skills by making each and every single episode must-watch, and really doing a fantastic job of balancing its screen time without losing the viewer's interest. And you know, while some storylines 
lines are a bit stronger than others, there was truly never a dull moment in this very bingeable show, but I won't talk about spoilers until after Volume 2. Unlike shows like The Walking Dead that kind of splits its episodes amongst the different arcs and different characters, each episode of Stranger Things this time around jumps between every story and utilizes the Netflix format and freedom to have long runtimes to make sure everything gets covered. One moment you're you know deep in the mystery of what's going on in Hawkins with Dustin and company, and then the next you're watching Hopper you know, attempt to survive a Russian prison. And I think the reason it kind of works is because you don't have to take breaks in a similar way that you would with an episodic release. I feel like they, you know, really maximized even harder than before on the fact that viewers are going to watch this show in large sittings. And in my case, I actually watched all of volume one in literally one fucking day. Now, this is the fourth season, so it's definitely not, you know, new watcher friendly, where I could see people kind of being able to jump in on season three if they wanted to without getting lost. But this one really encompasses kind of everything we've gotten so far and really pushing the story along by using elements that they've used in every single season. And with that, you can really see the ending that they're trying to build up to in season five. But with so much going on this show, I'm wondering if they're going to be able to stick the landing with just this season alone. In this season, we're you know introduced to the new big bad, Vecna, who I feel will play a major part in the fifth and final season, though they could always go back to the Mind Flayer. I feel like this season was you know used more to introduce the perils that this team will be facing in its grand conclusion. There will be you know two pretty much feature length episodes to finish this season and wrap everything up, but it seems like a daunting task when I put into my mind where we are with every single story that we have. Now Netflix touted on how this was their most expensive show yet, and in many places you can see where the money went, but unfortunately my biggest gripe with this show is its use of CGI. You know, while the monsters look good, CGI elements on human characters fell flat for me and hurt the experience overall. Um, performances are on point, and I think a lot of the characters are getting enough time and are being able to, you know, add depth to their roles, but a touching or terrifying moment can be ruined with laughable CGI. It really, you know, feels like some stuff they could have probably hidden a little bit better or done better to not show as clearly. And I think those who have watched the show will probably know what I'm talking about here but in other places it really did shine you know the de-aging of Eleven looked fantastic and so do most of the monsters in the show I just don't know why they made some of the choices they did with the human characters in CGI um, that just really took me out of the experience but right now there's a lot on the table and a lot of potential to be one of the best seasons of Stranger Things but it's all going to be riding on those last two episodes, those big mega show episodes. Uh, nothing this season really feels that rushed other than maybe the CGI, which I did expect better from with the way that they were kept talking about the show. So, I mean, if I were to give it a grade so far, I'd probably be giving it a B plus. And if the season finale does the rest justice, I could see myself giving the entirety of this show an A minus. But we will have to, you know, wait and see what happens July 1st. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming saw kind of the start of this summer's gaming news cycle with Sony's state of play ahead of next weekend's summer of gaming and Xbox showcases. Watching it live, I knew by the end that the average viewer wasn't going to be too dazzled by what was shown off, but as I said live on our Twitch, 
I didn't expect much from this 30 minute state of play. Kind of guessed that they weren't gonna have too much to show off in general. I can't blame them. I mean, they've already had a bunch of big announcements already this year. But nonetheless, the internet still flipped out about it and were a little bit wah about the whole situation. But there were still games that you know they did show off that at least caught my eye. And while PSVR was the main attraction at this state of play, with like games like Horizon coming and Walking Dead and even a chance to be up close with Lady D in Resident Evil, the game that really got my attention the most was the Callisto Protocol. Coming from the creators of Dead Space, the Callisto Protocol showed off a mix of gameplay and cinematics that really felt like that Dead Space experience that I know and love. Recently, having found out about the game, I was pleasantly surprised to see the heart racing gameplay of Dead Space in a new spiritual successor. I mean, all I really needed to see was that weighty curb stomp and I was sold. You'll play as Jacob Lee attempting to survive on the moon of Callisto against machines, monsters, and more. And while this was shown off at the state of play for Sony, the game will be released December 2nd for current and last gen consoles, along with PC. I highly recommend checking out the trailer for you horror nerds out there. Beyond that, you can catch my reactions to the rest of the state of play up on our Twitch channel right now. And make sure to follow us as we will be live with the Xbox Showcase, amongst other things coming out this upcoming weekend as developed are trying to fill that void of E3 this June. Plus, we play plenty of games on stream and run our own wrestling show on Twitch as well, so definitely check out The Amazing Nerd Show on Twitch when you get a chance. But all right, now let's move on to some AEW talk. Here's something you guys can't take for granted. Here's something he doesn't want you to know. Do you guys know who the second biggest minute-for-minute -minute draw is in this entire company? Nope, you wish. It's me! It's me! And if you don't believe me, do me a favor. Ask that boy Tony in the back, see what he's got to say. But whatever you do, don't ask him to reach into his pockets and pay the man who's been busting his ass for him since day one! All right, Christian, this past weekend was AEW's Double or Nothing, and holy shit, it was a jam-packed show. Um, we, what, we got like 12 matches overall? 13, if you count the pre-show. 13 matches. I actually did watch the pre-show because Dan Housen was uh -huh. on it, so <laughs> usually I skip the pre-show, but not this time. I mean, you know me, I love that Dan Housen, so. Uh, but yeah, I, I listen, I mean, I know it's a lot of show here. But at the same time, like, I feel like people complaining about the length of the show is kind of ridiculous. I mean, and then, like, comparing it to, like, WWE and, like, WrestleMania. And, yeah, it is definitely AEW's longest show, and it did go almost as long as a WrestleMania, if not longer. But they do four pay-per-views mm -hmm. per year, so I feel like it's a lot more forgivable. Also, it wasn't a case like WWE where, you know— the whole show was filled with tons of promo packages and backstage skits and shit like that. Like, we just got, like, match after match after match. I mean, yeah, some of those matches felt a little shoehorned in and maybe unnecessary. Supposedly, the reason behind the show being the length that it was was because Khan didn't want the main event to go on before the end of the NBA playoff game. Um he must have seen statistics of, like, people buying pay-per-views after, like, you know, sporting events. Um, supposedly it worked for him, uh, buy rate-wise. Okay. 
Uh, we'll see if that's true once the numbers actually come out, if they haven't already. Uh, but that's the claim he at least was making uh, during his press scrum uh, after the show. So, and it did kind of make sense because it, it really felt like, you know, especially that like Darby versus um, uh, Kyle O'Reilly match was just like thrown in there oh, yeah. last minute. <laughs> So, but I mean, I know in the past, like the UFC and different like boxing pay-per-views have done things like that. And God, I mean, people complaining about this shit. I mean, a lot of like UFC, you know, main events don't go on to like midnight and the same with boxing. So I just, for me, it just feels like, you know, a bullshit complaint. I mean, honestly, like those are the kind of people who go to a restaurant and complain about getting served too much food. Cause trust me, I, I, I know what I speak of. Cause my wife does this all the time. <laughs> it's like, Oh, this is too much food. Like she's angry at the amount of food that they're giving you. Like they're giving you more bang for your buck. Like what is Jesus? <laughs> it's like, just enjoy uh-huh. it. Why are you complaining? Take the rest home. <laughs> yes, exactly. Such a weird. Compl- oh my God. They're giving me too many good wrestling matches. Like what? <laughs> But anyway, let's go ahead and briefly review the show since it was almost a week ago by the time this episode actually drops. Uh, and more so talk about kind of the aftermath of, you know, what came out of the event. But anyway, first up, we had Hookhausen going over Tony Nese and Smart Mark Sterling uh, in a match that went the way everyone kind of expected. It was a nice little moment, and I'm glad we actually got to see, like, Danhausen actually wrestle mm-hmm. a little. Um I'm just, you know, wondering whether or not, like, this tag team is going to continue. They're super over, so I'm guessing the answer is yes. Uh, But I guess we'll have to wait and see because they weren't on Dynamite this week. No, but, I mean, I enjoy what we're getting out of Hook and Danhausen so far. I I think it's hilarious every time I see someone like the size of Tony Nese just cowering in fear from someone like Hook. But Hook's got the ability. He's just tossing motherfuckers around the ring. It's insane. No, I agree 100%. I mean, he feels legit mm-hmm. out there. And I mean, he does have like that jujitsu background and everything. And everything that he does feels authentic and real. So, I mean, he's pulling it off. And I mean, it's wrestling. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, we see the small guy, you know, go up against, you know, the bigger opponent plenty of times. So, it is what it is. All right, but to go ahead and start things off on the main card, uh, up first we have the controversial MJF versus Wardlow. So at this point, we're not really going to go into all the drama, uh, especially after what we got on Dynamite this past week. Uh, But yes, during the weekend, there was tons of controversy around this match and MJF in particular. Uh, Apparently, he no-showed a FanFest signing uh, which is something completely out of character for him and something that was definitely looked up, down upon by the other wrestlers. Also, there was a report out there that uh, he had a ticket booked uh, out of Vegas uh, that day. Uh, we heard, you know, how disgruntled he's been uh, with Tony Khan and his pay situation, uh, you know, over the last month or so. So this really seemed to be everything coming to a head. So after all these stories came out, everyone was basically on MJF watch. Like, you know, did he go home? You know, is he still in Vegas? Will he show up to double or nothing? Uh, you know, people were like reporting like, oh, it's like 3 p.m. And, you know, no signs of MJF yet. <laughs> like it was getting a little ridiculous. Uh, the fact that AEW was still advertising the match made me believe that 
he was going to show up and, you know, because I feel like at, at that point, if he wasn't in the arena or they hadn't had any kind of contact with him, they would have, you know, announced that the match wasn't happening, mm-hmm. you know, because um, you want to kind of like put out the fire before it starts, because I could see a situation where that crowd would get hostile and be chanting MJF like throughout Double or Nothing if he like no showed. Um so it only makes sense that they would want to try to get like out in front of that before that could possibly happen. Uh, but, you know, as we saw on the pay-per-view, MJF did show up. Wardlow versus MJF was the first match on the show. MJF came out. He was all business. Uh, he did have a little fun, you know, with the audience and did this like little airplane routine before he hit the corner and posed, uh, you know, just kind of poking fun at all the rumors, uh, you know, and the match went off basically the way I expected the match to go off. Uh, you know, I didn't expect a lot of back and forth. I mean, this was basically a glorified squash match. MJF got hit by 10 power bombs. Uh, you could tell that. They didn't feel very good <laughs> by the last like couple because he was really like trying to take them more on uh-huh. his shoulders uh, and it's his tailbone almost. Uh, but I mean, it's 10 fucking power bombs, but it just felt like the right way to end this story. It didn't feel like vindictive booking or punishment for all the drama that went on the day before because um, people were kind of saying that like, oh, it looks like they're writing MJ uh, Mark. Oh, this is, you know, AEW's way of writing MJF off, Um, you know, and I think part of that was him being stretchered off and then putting like the neck brace on him and like the oxygen mask backwards and shit, which was pretty ridiculous. I was like, what are they doing? Um, Because I was like, that's not covering his nose whatsoever. I'm I'm sure he probably whispered and told them to do that. So, but I I thought it was pretty Uh. funny. Um but Wardlow was put over pretty big here. Um, the crowd was really into him. I do feel like, though, like all this drama surrounding Max kind of took away from like Wardlow's big moments. Yes. And I can't lie, I felt this even more after what we got on Wednesday on Dynamite. Uh, Monday, we heard reports that uh, MJF and uh, Tony Khan were going to be having a meeting uh in vegas and then on wednesday it was announced that mjf would speak on dynamite so right then and there i think it was pretty obvious that they must have worked something out and that if there was any possibility of this you know being real and a shoot that at this point they've turned it into a work uh we're never gonna know for sure but i've been kind of saying that from the get-go it just feels like Tony Khan would be giving MJF way too much freedom on the microphone. I mean, I'm sure that he's been frustrated with, you know, his pay and everything like that. I'm sure there's been negotiations, but I just can't imagine, especially knowing like how thin Tony Khan's skin is when Mm -hmm. it comes to things. I just can't imagine just giving him like free reign like he has been, you know, with all the WWE comments. Uh, But maybe I'm wrong, but You know, if anything, and we've seen this happen in wrestling in the past, they might have just turned some real life heat into, you know, part of the show. 
you know, invaded into, you know, a work. I mean, we saw this between Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair. I mean, in the late 90s, WCW was suing Ric Flair for breach of contract, uh, you know, and then Flair eventually made his return after, you know, sitting out, I believe, for almost six to nine months. Jesus. Uh, and then came out and, you know, cut this fiery promo saying, fire me, I'm already fired. And, you know, Bischoff came out and, you know, I mean, at that point, they turned, you know, what was a shoot situation into a work. And why not make money? Exactly. Off of it, right. Um, so it, this definitely wouldn't be the first time with this whole like MJF situation. I think my issue with it is I just don't see what the end game is. Uh, you know, he came out. He cut this fiery promo, which was fantastic. Don't get me wrong on like Tony Khan and AEW and the direction they're headed and the fact that, you know, he's like, you know, one of their top stars, but he's getting paid, you know, next to nothing compared to these other, you know, former WWE wrestlers. Mm -hmm. um, and even though it felt like he was trying to stay heel during this whole promo and, you know, he did attack the crowd a few times, it undoubtedly turned him babyface with this crowd. And at the end, they were cheering every word he was saying. And to me, it's just a bad look for the company. You don't want the company to come across as the heels, right? Like you don't want, <laughs> once like this, like passionate AEW crowd that loves everything AEW turning on AEW. Cause that's what's the most over right now is the brand AEW, you know, with the fans. Mm -hmm. Um, so to have MJF, you know, cut a promo that turns the crowd against your brand absolutely makes no sense. Um, and then you kind of factor in the fact that I feel like it takes away from his match with Wardlow, just even having him there on Dynamite. I mean, this guy took 10 power mm. bombs and was stretchered out. Like, I think I'd be okay with this if this took place after the Forbidden Door and he showed up. But, like, for him to show up just, like, a handful of days later and then to, like, really steal the spotlight and be what everyone's talking about after Dynamite just feels like a discredit to Wardlow and that entire program. Because that's what people should be talking about right now, especially after all the groundwork that they did, you know, for, what, a year and mm -hmm. a half? two-year builds honestly like I, it just doesn't make any sense like i mean wardlow felt like an afterthought and that shouldn't be the case um because with him right now i feel like it's all about the follow-up and like him feuding with mark sterling who's apparently suing him for the way he treats all the security guards doesn't seem like enough follow-up for such a big program and it was probably the one thing that like people were really like buzzing about the most in this build to the pay-per-view. Um, so hopefully they can rectify that next week. You know, like I was really expecting for them to announce like Wardlow getting like a TNT like you mm -hmm. know title shot or something like that. Something that they can really like capitalize on the momentum he's gotten from this program. Um, but it seemed like the focus was all on Max. With that being said. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth and <laughs> go back to Max. The only thing I can really see them doing here with this angle, because that's what it is at this mm -hmm. point. It's an angle uh, that maybe they're trying to really like tap into this growing sentiment amongst some of the fans 
this fear that, you know, Tony is hiring too many, like, ex-WWE guys and the, like, AEW originals are getting kind of lost in the shuffle. Um, we saw it on Rampage with the way that the crowd reacted to Chris Statlander's promo talking about how she's been here since day one. And that almost completely derailed uh, her and Ruby's, uh, you know, Owen Hart uh, tournament match. Because, you know, with Ruby winning and it was supposed to be babyface for first babyface, the crowd was solely behind Chris Statlander and were relentlessly booing Ruby at the end of the match. Um, so I do feel like that, like, angst against kind of, you know, some of the recent hirings is there and is a real thing. But, like, I don't know if you spot like that. Like, I mean, unless you're leading to some kind of, like, civil war situation within AEW and you have, you know, the, like, uh, AEW originals versus, like, you know, the, like, you know, former WWE guys. But it's such a murky line to draw and it's something that's really hard to pull off. And, like, do you want MJF to be the guy? Leading, leading the that, charge, like, charge? Yeah, I don't know. And it's just like to get to that point. I mean, with a storyline like this, don't they need to like continue to build off of it? If, especially if they're going to go this quickly into it a few days after the pay per view. Like, because I, I would assume, like you said, yeah, they probably should have just waited to have him come out two to three weeks later because all these wrestlers are going to be tied up in activities for Forbidden Door. You know, there's no one really exactly. for him to go up against until like July. Yeah, because you're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna put Max on the Forbidden Door and have him just you know in some random no. match. My guess, especially like we saw that on uh, the AEW roster page, they pulled him, you know, from the page, mm. and then they actually like took down all his merch and everything. So it really feels like they're trying to play it off like the Sasha and Naomi like situation, um, you know, with WWE pulling down all their merch. But once again, it it really feels like in doing that, you're healing the company, like you're turning the company into the heels, into the bad Mm -hmm. guys. (laughs) Like they're the evil corporation, you know, not like paying their, you know, employees fairly. Yeah, and it just doesn't make any sense because you don't have that like heel character running AEW. It's not like, you know, WWE in the past where you have the evil Vince McMahon, you know, <laughs> running amok. Like you we're not gonna see Tony Khan, I hope not, you know, <laughs> as an active character know, you know, on the show. Oh god. <laughs> this could be his in. That would be a disaster, Christian. <laughs> I love Tony Khan and everything he's done for the wrestling business, but he does not belong on camera. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I hope that's not the case. Now, they did have, like, after he cut his fiery promo, they did have, during commercial break, CM Punk walk out there and kind of chase MJF away. Mm. And we know that during Punk and Hangman's program, Actually, on the blow-off show, before the pay-per-view, Hangman kind of drops some, like, juicy nuggets of, like, you know, no one wants you here, I'm trying to protect AEW from you, and we were all kind of speculating that maybe they would be turning Punk heel. At the pay-per-view, he was totally a babyface, and that didn't seem to be the case at all. But, I mean, maybe that was just, once again, long-term storytelling, and eventually 
the real CM Punk, the heel CM Punk is going to show his ugly head and we're going to have a situation where it's, you know, Punk, you know, kind of representing, you know, the evil corporation that apparently AEW is against a babyface MJF. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just sounds absurd even saying uh, it. Though, sounds like right? Bizarro World, you know? <laughs> yes. I'm just scared that this was more of a case of AEW and Tony Khan really just trying to capitalize on all the buzz and controversy over the weekend mm -hmm. and not really having a well-laid plan uh, for, you know, this storyline that they've apparently started on Wednesday. So hopefully that's not the case, but I guess only time will really tell. And that's the aftermath after the only, the, like, the first match of the pay-per-view. Yes! <laughs> Like I said, don't get me wrong. Like it was a great promo on Dynamite, but I just I don't know. Like like people comparing it to the pipe bomb, like Punk's pipe bomb, you know, ten years ago. I don't think it's comparable. I feel like it's apple to oranges. I mean, what Punk was doing was really like speaking for a lot of disgruntled mm -hmm. fans, you know, um, you know, saying what you know a lot of frustrated WWE fans were thinking at the time. What MJF is saying is really what, like, all the old heads are saying, like Jim Cornette and fucking Dan Lambert. Like, he didn't really say anything new or different than, like, all that, like, negative commentary against AEW. So I don't feel like it's the same. And like I said, like, if it's not used to rally the audience against MJF, I don't understand the point. You know, the initials of the company is AEW, not MJF. Mm. So, like, what are we doing here? You know, I, I don't I don't get it. So, but anyway, hopefully they have something big in store for Wardlow, though. Because once again, MJF totally stole the spotlight from Wardlow, even during this podcast. So, uh, you know, I thought they'd done a fantastic job building him up. I just hope that they're able to pay mm. it off now. Um, I feel like he'll probably, hopefully, end up being the guy who defeats Scorpio Sky, though, for that title. Because um, I feel like that's, that would be a good landing point for him. Um, and yeah, that means you're going to deal with a bunch of squash matches when it comes to the TNT title. But really, in the long run, it'll be a lot better than what we've been getting over the oh, next absolutely. couple of months. So <laughs> I might, I won't be too upset about it if it's, you know, in the name of building Wardlow even further. Because I do feel like he's a superstar on the rise. But anyway, Christian, what do we have next? Up next, we had the Hardys going up against the Young Bucks. Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy getting the win. Yeah, pretty much a name only because it really felt like the Bucks were the heroes of the night and they really like carried the Hardys through this match. Uh, I enjoyed it, but dear Lord, I mean, the Hardys just feel so beat up mm -hmm. and just they they really feel like they need to take a couple months off right now. Neither of them are moving well. They both seem banged up. I mean, Matt's leg Feels like it's constantly in a straight position for some reason. Like he can't bend his mm. knee. And then Jeff, like, <laughs> like he was able to pull some cool things off, but I don't know, man. It just feels like he needs to take some yeah, time. I mean, off. It looks like, like he's you know, age is catching up to that. I mean, it looks like Jeff's grimacing just walking out to the entrance ramp, you know? Well, and who could blame him after that match against Darby? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I, I, I understand like they wanted to have this like dream match scenario mm-hmm. play out on pay-per-view and probably like sooner than later. But like, this is a match we've, we've seen before. So I, I would have much rather have seen the Bucks versus like red dragon or something else uh, in the meantime. And I know they're probably not ready to pull that trigger yet. Probably because Omega's not, you know, near coming back anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, but I don't know. Like, it was a good match and I enjoyed it. But overall, comparatively speaking, it was really a downgrade from what we usually get out of the Young Bucks on a pay-per-view. And it wasn't their fault. No, I got plenty of time as well. It was almost 20 minutes. And speaking of which, what's the end game? Like, the Hardys went over here? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'd be surprised if we see Jeff and Matt back in the ring teaming together in the next month. And then from what we got on Dynamite, which saw the Bucks actually get a pinfall victory over uh, Jurassic Express during their multi-team you know, team match, it would seem like the Bucks are next in line for the tag titles. So, I mean, where does that put the Hardys after they're the ones who got the victory I, over the Bucks? I don't know. <laughs> so most likely they must have gotten like the doctor's report or something mm-hmm. like that. And we're like, oh, no, they're going to be on the shelf for a while. So let's just move ahead and pretend, you know, the pay-per-view didn't happen. Up next, we had our first championship match of the night. We had Jade Cargill going up against Anna Jay. Jade Cargill continues on with her streak. This was one of the matches that kind of felt like tacked on the last moment. Um, I get it. You want to have your TBS title like defended on the pay-per-view. Um to make it feel important but at the same time when you have it like so last minute booked i think it does the opposite mm-hmm. it makes it feel less important you kind of shine a spotlight on the fact that it was you know kind of a last minute decision to add this match and anna jay never felt like a worthy contender especially since we've seen this match before when it came to the match itself i mean it felt overbooked. Once again, I wish they would keep Jade's matches a lot shorter. Uh, it wasn't her fault, though. It felt like Anna Jay kind of got lost at certain points during this match. Uh, it's okay to have like a three-minute glorified squash match with Jade at this mm-hmm. point. You know, I know you want to give her all the experience you know she can get in the ring, but it's okay. And I know AEW doesn't like to have those matches except for, you know, with Wardlow apparently, but I feel like Jade's on that level now where, you know, the crowd would accept it if not get behind it. She was distracted by the debuting formerly Malcolm Bivens, who's now going by his uh, original name, Stokely Hathaway. Uh, Apparently he's going to be her new mouthpiece. I don't know what that means for smart Mark Sterling. After Jade pulled off the victory, we had Athena uh, show up, uh, formerly known as Ember Moon, which I think is a huge get for AEW, and I think it's going to do tons for their women's division. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm not sure how I feel about her like starting a feud right away with Jade, um, but it is what it is, because I don't feel like she's going to be the one to beat Jade for the TBS title. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, but mm. yeah, no, I was excited to see her. Uh, Chris Statlander joined her on the stage. She also got a huge fucking pop. So, I mean, it feels like they're going to be forced to do something with Statlander sooner than later also, which is a good thing because she's been great in the ring uh, recently. But I will say, you know, even though this match was, you know, thrown together last second, they did lay a lot of groundwork for it feels like 
a couple months to come when it comes to Jade and booking the TBS title. So right, well, up next, we had the House of Black defeating Death Triangle. Yeah, the House of Black looked extra spooky. They're all they're all done up makeup wise. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I yes. definitely <laughs> liked the look that um, uh, Buddy was rocking. Uh, I feel like that should be something he probably does all the time because he does kind of stick out as a sore thumb right now within that group. I feel like, you know, especially since he's like the only dude without ink and shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I thought this was a great match. I thought it almost stole the show. Uh-huh. Um, you know, crappy build aside. <laughs> uh, it definitely helps having Ray Phoenix, you know, part of it and everything that I mean, I. But yeah, no, I thought this was a, a great match, you know, regardless of its crappy build. Uh, and even though I felt like we've seen like different versions of this match multiple times now over the past couple of months, I guess none of them have ever really featured Ray Phoenix um, in the mix. So, you know, I mean, he definitely brought his A game tonight and they were all like really clicking on all cylinders. They did finally like bring the storyline with Julia Hart to a head. With her, you know, coming out and blowing the black mist and, you know, Pox, you know, face. So thank God <laughs> she's now officially yes. joined the House of Black. Finally. Uh, what that means, who the hell knows, but at least that whole storyline is over with, um, you know, with whether or not or when she's going to fucking finally, you know, join the group. I'm just hoping that now that this is over with and I'm dear God, I'm hoping that this is over with. I know the Lucha Brothers are supposed to be facing the Bucks. I believe on Rampage this week, which which would have already happened after this episode drops. Um, but I'm just hoping that okay. they have something big in store for Malachi Black. Like I'd like to see him go for like one of the titles. Um, if not, like they need to get the trio titles like out there and like become a real thing sooner than later. Like, let's get that tournament going. Because, I mean, Tony Khan has already come out and said that he has the belts already made. <laughs> so I don't know what they're waiting for. I mean, maybe after Forbidden Door. I guess, but that would have been a cool one to have at Forbidden Door, especially since they have a trios title over on New yeah, Japan Yeah, I don't as think well. they're doing, like, title versus title, though. So I'm no, sure they're going to want to, like, have that built up to, like, a pay-per-view or something like that again, you know. But there mm. was the rumor that he was waiting for Omega to come back, but... Come on, man. There's so many teams like this that are just kind of like treading water. <laughs> Let's make it a thing. Well, up next, we have Adam Cole defeating Samoa Joe in the Men's Owen Hart Foundation Tournament Final. How did you feel about this match, Christian? I didn't have any issues with it. I enjoyed it for the most part. I mean, Samoa Joe beating the hell out of Adam Cole for the most part. And then seeing, you know, we got that typical Adam Cole kind of slowly breaking down Samoa Joe till the end. I thought it was, you know, it's it's two wrestlers that I know very well, so I thought it was well handled in my eyes. I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I didn't feel like they got enough time, but it just felt a little lackluster to me. Um, hmm. And I don't know if it's like the, really about the placement on the card where it was at, but I just didn't feel the build towards it. And maybe that's just an issue with the tournament in general. Maybe if there was some time between you know those two becoming uh, you know the finalists where they could mm -hmm. do a few back and forth and everything like building up to this match i don't know it would have felt more important um you know and i think that's my issue overall with this tournament like i was expecting big things from it and while we got some good matches 
like I, I don't know like in my mind like i built it up to be almost like g1 caliber and that was not the case whatsoever mm-hmm. um and like they didn't do enough to like push like the importance of like what the tournament meant like to the wrestlers like they did a little bit here during the pay-per-view and on rampage but i felt like it was too little too late like i need more owen in the owen tournament like next year like explain why this cup is important to all the wrestlers and what the foundation is and what it means and i know they've done it out there on social media but i didn't feel like it was focused on enough like during the shows so um you know i liked the aftermath and everything like you know martha hart coming out and giving them you know their titles and the cup but that was pretty much it for me like i I was kind of down on this i'm not gonna lie i mean i will say what felt watered down was more when we got when we started off this tournament and we saw adam cole doing the whole like you know hbk spots i thought that would be you know play way more into it and stuff like that and you would get more character by the end of it but there it seems like he toned it down especially since he knew he was winning and going to have to be there with yes and like just maybe i'm a purist but like i would have liked to see like baby faces win the first like you Uh, know tournament to have like these like dastardly heels win and then like have to sit there and you know act super gracious while like martha hart's making her speech just felt a little weird to me um, and I understand you want to have established names be the first winners of the cup and everything to like kind of hit home the importance of it. But I felt like there was other ways to do it. I felt like you could have made stars, you know, out of yes. this tournament if you wanted to. And that's how you make it important. Like, you know, if you know, have two people who, you know, you're going to push over the next year, win the thing. Um, you know, and that way it becomes a bigger deal next year. Otherwise, it's another trophy in, you know, their filled cases. So, um, but yeah, apparently both, you know, Samoa Joe and Adam Cole are pretty banged up. And maybe that's why the match just felt oh, a little okay. off to me. Um, but I don't know. Um, on the other side, we had Britt Baker go over Ruby Soho. Um, and it really felt like Soho was poised to win this whole thing. Yes. Especially having <laughs> Rancid yes! show up and play the full song. So weird. Uh, and I, I, I'm wondering if they did it about face after Rampage and they were scared after the reaction that, you know, Soho got basically being booed like mm-hmm. out of the building, you know, because she beat Chris Statlin, or maybe they were scared of like having her getting booed off stage while accepting that cup during Martha's speech. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, maybe that was a fear because that's not kind of the optics you want in that situation, especially if they booed her because she beat an AEW original in Chris Statlander. What would their reaction be to her beating an original who's incredibly over in Britt Baker? So I understand mm-hmm. that fear, but man, how many times are you going to have like Ruby come up short? So, I mean, on Dynamite, she did get a pinfall victory on Britt during their tag match. Uh, she teamed up with Tony Storm and Britt, of course, with, was, was with Jamie Hayter. Um, so maybe that leads to something, but I don't see what exactly at this point. Like maybe another title shot against, you know, Jade. Um uh, or a prolonged feud with Britt. I don't know. I don't know where they had with Ruby. I also thought it was weird that Britt Baker was trying to use the Owen Hart, you know, championship 
title, whatever you want to call it, as a weapon. <laughs> and I've been hearing a lot of people saying, and I guess we've been saying it too, where, oh, I can see how it makes sense to have, like, this power couple of Adam Cole and Britt Baker be the first, like, cup winners and everything. But, like, why? Like, they don't need it. They're already established no. stars and they're over. So, I, I don't know. It would have also built to an interesting storyline where you can have Britt Baker be like, oh, you stole my moment to be there next to Adam. And then you can build something yeah, off of that. Exactly. You know, exactly. And once again, like give something to someone who like Ruby, who's not going to be in the title picture to really like hang their hat on. Because right now it feels like, you know, it's going to be a while before we see her like contending for one of those belts. So this would have been a nice moment to keep her like momentum going. You know, or Tony hmm. Storm, because I really do feel like Tony Storm probably should have won this tournament. So, I don't know. Strange decision. All right. Uh, up next, we had American Top Team going up against Frankie Kazarian, Sammy Guevara, and Ty Conti. I'm glad this is over, first of all. <laughs> yes. I feel 100%. like this whole program is probably one of the worst things AEW has ever booked uh, since its existence. Uh, it's made absolutely no sense whatsoever. It really felt like Tony was going to do the right thing. And after a misbooking, you know, Sammy and Ty as the baby faces, <laughs> he was going to do like a double turn situation. Uh, but instead, we just had two like heel groups feuding over a TNT title that's been just completely diminished over, you know, the length of this program, I feel like. And that's all due to Tony, for some reason, doubling down. And I don't get it because, I mean, he in an interview admitted that, you know, he misread the room. Like he <laughs> he thought Sammy and Ty would be over and they would be the baby face. And the crowd turned on them quickly and hard. Felt like he did the right thing. Um you know, and had Scorpio, you know, on the verge of turning face, but then he had him turn around and almost do like a weird, you know, double turn where he turned heel again <laughs> against his former partner. Uh, it was just very WWE like, you know, it's a weird like stubbornness that I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting where like we're going to force this team down your throat. And it, it does. I will say that I because at that time when they did that, you know, that swerve and had Scorpio then side with American top team over Frankie after the match. Um, I felt like Sammy and Ty were supposed to be the faces coming in and making the save for Frankie. Thankfully that wasn't the case, but you still have two heel teams going at it that no one really cares about, unfortunately because of that. Yeah. So I don't know. I didn't get it. Um, and I'm glad it's over. Uh, Paige Van Zandt doesn't belong in the ring right now. And that's no fault of her own. It's her first match. It, your first match doesn't belong on a pay-per-view. You know, that's just, unless you're Ronda Rousey, it doesn't belong on the pay-per-view. And I'm no. sure Ronda Rousey was training <laughs> for months and months and months mm -hmm. beforehand. Uh, and they did everything to protect her. Here, they kind of felt like they just threw her out in the fire and they gave her way too much to do. And she pulled off some of the moves, but she has mm. absolutely no composure whatsoever in the ring. You know, it's those transitions, those subtle nuances that makes wrestling what it is. And she just at this point doesn't have it yet. Uh, and I feel like and I've talked about this before in the past, like it's just a bad taste 
to leave in people's mouths. You know, people can really get kind of stuck on their first impression of you when it comes to wrestling. Uh, so I, I feel like it's getting her off to the, on the wrong foot. Um, but hopefully, you know, she goes away and trains for, you know, a year or so. And then she comes back stronger than ever. And this is all forgotten. <laughs> but I, we'll see. We'll see what's in store for the, you know, TNT title going forward. I know that uh, Scorpio is supposed to be defending the belt against Dante Martin on Rampage, which once again would have already happened after this episode drops. So I'm sure he's going to retain. But hopefully we see Wardlow get involved. You know, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunate for Scorpio because I feel like he really deserved a better title. And it was there was probably one there, but they kept messing around with Sammy. Uh, things just didn't. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Like having him drop the belt and mm-hmm. regain it and, you know, so and then not defend it for like a month at a time. It just didn't do him any favors. Yeah. So um, hopefully and maybe this time around, maybe they're able to correct the course and everything, because I do feel like he's kind of coming into his own on the mic at least um he seems to be more comfortable mm-hmm. so i mean i don't know maybe they can do it about face but i mean i've got little hope at this point and i just want to kind of see this over with <laughs> i mean that match was kind of the lowest moment of the card i feel like the rest of this card is just full gear <laughs> like <laughs> and non-stop because up next we had kylo o'reilly go up against and defeat darby allen Yes, what a weird finish, though, right? Like, I didn't see Kyle O'Reilly beating Darby Allen like, cleanly. No, but... Uh, right? It was a hell of a match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was another match that felt like a last-minute add-on. But, I mean, I enjoyed the shit out of it. And it was my kind of, like, you know, match where you had, like, this big, like, styles clash going on. Um, but, man, they were beating the shit out of each other in this 100%. match. 100%. Um, I'm guessing this is going to lead to like Darby and Sting versus Red Dragon somewhere down the road. But like, I don't know, it made me question like, well, why would they do a finish like this? I mean, maybe you're trying to get over Kyle O'Reilly as more uh, than just a tag team wrestler. Um, Or maybe they try to play into the fact that, you know, maybe Darby can't win without Sting. Hmm. And that eventually leads to Darby parting ways with Sting and like, I need to do this on my own now to prove to myself that, you know, it wasn't just you in my corner the entire time, you know, helping me win matches like I can, you know, do this and, you know, I'm a star on my own. Does it end with Darby versus Sting? (laughs) <laughs> i think eventually we'll get that match honestly i don't, don't want to see sting die trying to fight darby Damon. <laughs> sting sting is so much bigger than darby even if he does one of those insane like cannibal like you know spots he's gonna just bounce off of fucking uh-huh. Sting, right <laughs> so sting can hold his own for one match i could see that maybe being the last we see of sting and I don't know what his contract status is mm-hmm. or anything like that, but like maybe he leaves the company putting over Darby. I don't think that's a, a, a horrible way for Sting to go I'm out. Just afraid that Darby's going to convince him to climb up something with him, and they both come crashing down. Oh and, no! Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see that exactly. at all. <laughs> or who knows? Maybe they eventually do get their tag team title shot because I feel like. They're undefeated yes. as a team right now, even though they're not ranked. <laughs> but all right, up next, we had Thunder Rosa retaining against Serena Deeb for the AEW Women's World Championship. And this was everything I expected it to be. But 
the buildup was just awful. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, it felt like the crowd wasn't into it at first, but the women are so great in the ring that they eventually won them over. Um, but unfortunately, like you said, I mean, the match could have been even bigger if they actually got in like a decent mm-hmm. build. But unfortunately, like everything they were doing in the you know lead up to this match, except for that final night, I did like. Uh, Rose's last promo on the go home show, but everything else just felt disjointed and wasn't really like clicking um, and really felt like an afterthought. Honestly, Um, I know, I guess Thunder Rose has been injured, so maybe that's why we haven't we didn't see her in the Mm -hmm. ring as much because I mean, Deeb did have a match or two, but it would have been nice to see like Rosa out there wrestling to kind of like you know keep that women's title like in the forefront of everyone's mind but unfortunately you know she was just stuck holding a mic week after week poorly written segments so i don't know i mean hopefully at some point they meet again and they can have a proper build and a proper program because these two are great together and they had a fantastic match no dustin appearance (laughs) yeah like where's the payoff for that right (laughs) i thought at least he'd come out with her or something Mm -hmm. or there would something there'd be something that would happen where he would come out to her aid but nope not at all and i'm fine with it like i would rather much have these two going you know toe-to-toe but I don't know. It was weird. I was like, what was the point of all that? <laughs> Up next, shit really did hit the fan as we got the anarchy in the arena match between the Jericho Appreciation Squad, Blackpool Combat Club featuring Brian Danielson and John Moxley, along with Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. I thought this was perfectly placed on the card. Um, it really got the crowd back into the mm-hmm. show. Um I mean, Justin Roberts coming out and say this, saying the shit is about to hit the fan, <laughs> you know, popped the crowd and, you know, they were automatically on the edge of the seat after that. So, you know, Jericho is the king of these matches. I love the absolute chaos of everything. The fact that, like, you didn't know which way to look. And, like, you know, we were stuck with just what the camera was mm-hmm. giving us. But, like, in the background, you could hear the crowd popping for other yeah. things that were <laughs> happening. <laughs> I mean, mostly everyone was bleeding. I mean, just just insanity, like, throughout. I mean, it was everything that I wanted and more out of this match. Um, they did, And they were able to pull off some good storytelling, too, at the same time. I mean, everything with Eddie Kingston coming out and pouring the fucking gasoline all over uh, Jericho and Danielson. I thought that was a great moment, um, and I'm excited to see where that leads, because I loved, you know, that Brian match versus Kingston. So hopefully we get, like, a sequel mm. to that. Moxley's really in his element in this match, too. And I thought 2.0 did a great job. And they were really able to, like, hang, you know, wrestling this style of match, which I've never seen out of them before. So because at first I was kind of questioning, I was like, man, it's going to be weird having 2.0, you know, who've been nothing but like, you know, comedy goofs, uh-huh. you know, since I've seen them uh, in this style of match. But they pulled it off. Man. Oh, they definitely hung when they were getting dragged across the floor in front of a child. Uh-huh. I was like, what is happening? My mouth was open <laughs> for most of this match. Like I was taken aback by how much they were willing to do. And it was crazy. Like the camera could not. You were right. Could not keep up with the amount of action going across this 
area. No, absolutely not. They were shooting it like gorilla uh-huh. style, really. You know, where the crowd, the, the camera was shaking because they were on the run, constantly following the wrestlers and everything. And like, I felt bad for the announcers because <laughs> you could tell they're being distracted by everything going on. Uh, like the music playing oh, throughout yeah. the first mm-hmm. half of the, you know the the match and then like Jericho being the one to like take it away from the crowd and be able to like milk as much heat from it as possible um you know being the rock star who doesn't like music apparently <laughs> uh you know just an awesome moment and really well done so I don't know I love this match and like I said I feel like it was the match of the night honestly I mean Jericho and I know he wasn't alone doing this but like he's done a great job putting together these giant like matches like you know Stadium Stampede and Blood and Guts. And after Dynamite, we know that we're going to be getting a Blood and Guts match, you know, between these two factions uh, on, I believe, the 29th of June. So, like, right after uh, Forbidden Door. I will say on the show, it felt a little clunky the way that they announced Blood and Guts was going to be happening. No, I agree. It was something in the setup. I don't know if it was just the way that, like... Kingston really like try to transition Regal into the moment with him, you know, saying blood and guts. But I don't think the crowd understood exactly what they were talking about. And maybe that's why at the end of Dynamite, they had Moxley hit it home again and talk about how he's going to be part of blood mm-hmm. and guts also. So, because I just kind of assumed that. So it was a little weird to hear Moxley say that. But I was like, okay, maybe you're trying to get this, the point across since it didn't. It, it just felt like it landed flat, you know, when they initially announced it. Up next, we had the three-way tag team match for the AEW World Tag Team Championship with Jurassic Express retaining the title. This was another match of the night contender mm-hmm. uh, in my mind. Uh, these teams worked really well together. Um, you could tell that the audience is primed to see someone take those belts off of Jurassic Express at this point. I'm loving the pairing of Keith Lee and Swerve um, together. So hopefully they, you know, stay together for a while and eventually do, you know, get those belts. Uh, But, you know, they just, they have a history together. So I think that really goes, you know, into like how much chemistry they have. But yeah, no, I love this match and I've got to give it to Tony. I mean, really like the top, the last three matches were like the best matches of the night. And I feel like that should be the way your card is laid out because the crowd, regardless of how long the pay-per-view was, were still standing on their feet, you know, when all things were said and done. So the placement of the matches went a long way in helping the crowd keep the energy up. No team really outshined the other. I mean, all of the, all of them really got to have some great moments here. I definitely got a lot more of the action I was expecting out of like Powerhouse Hobbs and Luchasaurus and Keith Lee all working together. It's it's insane what all six of these men are able to do in the ring. And I feel like AEW's done a fantastic job of getting me at least over my qualms of the triple threat tag team match because uh, they continue to have you know the perfect amount of constant tagging and action well i think it kind of works because all the teams are built similarly Mm -hmm. like you've got like the big guy little guy dynamic going on so it just kind of worked out that they were able to really like bounce off each other and work that into the match so um now on dynamite we saw like i said before the bucks pinning jurassic express and their multi-man match now as for the future of the tag team belts we like i said before we did see 
Jurassic Express um, take a pinfall against the Young Bucks in their multi-man, you know, multi-tag match, whatever the hell you call it. <laughs> it was another one of their circus mm. matches, whatever. Uh, but it seems like the Bucks are going to be the next in line to go after those belts. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do finally, you know, win the titles. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Bucks end up winning those belts. Um, and I did the Bucks... Did Jurassic Express pin the Bucks for those titles? <laughs> to win them? Um, yeah, to win them. Might have. <laughs> I, think, I think so. So, I mean, it would be things going full circle, if I'm right. Um, also, I don't know if you caught this, but I think the Christian heel turn is getting closer. Oh, closer. yeah. Uh, we had uh, Matt Hardy consoling Jungle Boy after getting pinned. Uh, and then Christian pushed Hardy out of the way and started consoling Jungle Boy. So it was another weird moment, and we'd be getting more and more of those over the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, maybe Christian finally turns, and, you know, that's what happens. You know, that's what, you know, costs them the titles against the Bucks. Actually, it might have been the Lucha Brothers that they won the belts from. I f- I'm not sure. I feel like or it. maybe it was a three-way. <laughs> anyway, whatever. It's, it's almost five o'clock in the uh-huh. morning. Let's move on. <laughs> Last but not least, we had the AEW World Heavyweight Championship between CM Punk and Hangman Adam Page. CM Punk becoming the brand new AEW champion. So I love this match. I know a lot of people were complaining that, you know, there are moments where it was a little clunky. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting like a big storytelling moment, especially after the promo we got between like, you know, Paige and Punk. Um, I think people were kind of expecting someone to turn heel and they definitely like played that up. So it, I feel like the fact mm. that that didn't actually happen, though, led to some people being disappointed. Uh, you could tell, too, like the crowd had such a like mixed reaction to both guys. They didn't know who to cheer for, which I thought added to the match, honestly. Um, but, you know, it just felt like everyone was expecting something like either Punk turning heel or Paige, you know, turning heel. And we did have that moment with Paige, you know, holding the title and kind of questioning you know, whether or not he should use it, which I feel like has been kind of an element in all of his like pay-per-view matches since the title, right? Should, should I, should I do the wrong yes, thing? Right? Yes. So I mean, <laughs> eventually maybe we are going to see page turn heel. Uh, but mm. I don't know. I still feel like it's punk. <laughs> the fact that they had page like hinting at, you know, there being a different punk behind the scenes and the fact that he felt like he had to protect the AEW title from Punk tells me that maybe they have something else in the works, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm too tired to speculate right now, Christian. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I will say Punk came off very face-like at the end of his match on Dynamite. You know, he the way he was talking about, like, I still have tons to learn no, I, and I'm here and for you all. This, I, during yeah. this match, during the pay-per-view match, he was 100% mm. the baby face. He was crying, holding the title and cradling yes. it like a newborn. <laughs> so, I mean, he worked baby <laughs> the entire fucking, you know, match, even though the crowd started booing him once he fucking botched the, you know, buckshot lariat. But, I mean, fuck the crowd. Whatever. You know, <laughs> you try it. Um, you know, and I thought he recovered well <laughs> from it. So, um, I don't know. I like, I dug the match and I thought it was one of Paige's best matches as champion. And 
I hope that, you know, people look back fondly on his reign as champion because he's had nothing but fucking A plus matches throughout his mm-hmm. title reign. Really, like stealing the show. So, I mean, he's not getting enough credit. I know, I think part of it's just the way that they've kind of like booked him. Like, he hasn't necessarily always been the focal point of, you know, Dynamite and Rampage. Um, but that's not his fault. You know, that's Tony Khan's fault because everything that they've given him, he's hidden it out of the park. So, and this was another case of that. Um, I feel like we're going to see an even stronger second title reign from Paige. Because I feel like this isn't going to be his yes. last reign as champion. You know, this was kind of like just like an appetizer, a tease to mm. what's going to come, which is going to be, I feel like, a longer reign. Because this was, I think, the shortest AEW title reign, right? Title reign, yeah. The handful that we've had sure. so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But it's, it was still almost six months, I think. So I don't see him as champion, like his title reign as a failure at all, even though I'm sure they're going to make that as part of the storyline. There are rumors out there that at Forbidden Door that he might be facing off against Okada, which I feel like they're going to end up stealing the show if that's the case. Um, Oh, absolutely. So I mean, I don't know. That's something to look forward to. But clothesline once again, that's going to be another loss probably for Paige. So we'll see how that like builds into the storyline. And maybe he does eventually like turn heel and you could have him join up with the, you know, undisputed elite. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It, it should be cool. I feel like a loss against Okada doesn't really count no. as a real loss because they just are. They're never going to I give Okada think, a big I loss like I think a that. loss against Okada, <laughs> like people get over in losing to Okada. We saw uh-huh. it happen with Omega. So, I mean, it's not going to hurt him, but like, I don't know. Do you see like the Bullet Club like coming into play? You know, like the Undisputed, because we know that the Undisputed is going to be kind of running with the Bullet Club during this forbidden, Mm -hmm. you know, door show. And at least that's what was hinted at with, you know, um, the old Switchblade and Cole. Uh, So maybe they come out and, you know, they tease, you know, Paige actually, you know, joining the dark side. You know, and joining back up with the elite. I just don't see Paige working well with Switchblade. Well, but, I don't think he's going to have uh, to. I think after Forbidden well, Door, yeah. you know, they're <laughs> going to move on their merry ways, and then you're going to have Paige with you know the elite. Really, um, I think they they might play with it, but I can't picture uh, Hangman going full heel right now. Um, I don't know. They just keep on teasing it so much. I know they they love their mm-hmm. long form storytelling. But it's almost like too much at this point where it's like, okay, just turn heel at the <laughs> get it over with. <laughs> but, you know, I'm talking on both sides of my mouth because I also see a, a world where CM Punk is the one who turns heel. Yeah. You know, and the truth comes I out. I feel like Punk's the yeah, big like bad. The truth comes out about coming. him and he's just a monster backstage. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Oh, and speaking of Punk, uh, coming out on Dynamite was his opponent for Forbidden Door, that being Tanahashi. Go Ace. <laughs> it's going to be a damn good match, Christian. It's going to be a good match. And you know that Punk just, probably like... personally picked the match. So. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's fucking New Japan's yes, John Cena. Why wouldn't Punk go up against him? So, you know, whether you like it or not. And it's a guy that he can go over on. And politics won't like yes. play a part of it. So... No, that, that's where my brain went to as soon as I saw Tanahashi. I was like, okay, they're doing this because they don't want to have that kind of situation where 
who wins between Okada and Punk, the yeah, two champions. You, you gotta look at like it, that. you know, I don't know how New Japan sees it, but AEW, you've got your two top guys, you know, going against, like, two of, you know, New Japan's top guys. And also, like, they're not gonna give you all your dream matches at once, you know, because I feel like mm-hmm. this is a relationship that's gonna do nothing but grow, and they probably are planning on more events in the future. So they've got to, you know, they can't blow their wad all at once. They have to hold some things back. And I mean, there's, like I said, there's lots of politics involved when it comes to world titles. So Yes. Are we done yet, Christian? Almost. One more thing that we forgot to mention was Andrade had a special announcement in a videotape with Roosh coming out. And it seems like we're getting the band back together right before Forbidden Door, perhaps. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that, Christian. That, that's pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, Naito is ready to go, though. I think he's dealing with an injury right now. Ooh. So, I mean, he could at least be there and walk down the aisle uh-huh. with him. So I'm sure you're going to have a lot of, like, faction versus faction matches going on on, you know, this show. So along with like a handful of like dream matches. Uh, but yeah, and that definitely could be one of them. But all right. Now that does it. What what star rating would you give? I know you don't want to think too hard oh about it, God. but what star rating would you give? <laughs> I have to do star <laughs> ratings at five o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it four stars because I really did enjoy the show. Um, I just wish it had a better build. I mean, I'll be honest, I felt like this was probably one of the most lackluster builds to pay-per-view in AEW short history. So, um, but I mean, it is what it is. At least they were able to stick the landing and hopefully they're able to right the ship when it comes to, you know, building up to the next show, which is Forbidden Door in only like, what, like three weeks away. So (laughs) they've got a lot of work to do. But I'm I'm right there in the same boat. If it had had a better build, then yes, this would probably be like a 4.5. Uh, I will give it a four because I did enjoy almost every single match except for one. Mm-hmm. So I'm you know that's that's my grade for this one. But I do hope and expect better and the build up to whatever comes next after Forbidden. So Door. there is a rumor that there's going to be an ROH pay per view next month. Hmm. Which just seems insane to me, um, especially without, like, you know, an actual TV deal. I don't know, man. The sooner the better ROH can, like, get off the ground and running. Because I think part of the reason why this pay-per-view and the build felt so weird is just because the roster is so bloated at this point. That there's just so many working parts that they feel the need to service that it's affecting the overall quality and time that they can put into like the individual programs, if that makes any sense. Right. As Damon has said about five times over, it's almost 5 a.m., like almost like a minute away, and we're both dead yes, tired. Dear God, let me go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> put me out of my misery. Uh, but that does it for this week. Join us next week as we talk more AEW and maybe some WWE. They do have a pay per view. I think it's Hell in the Cell. Right. Oh, maybe. I'll I'll watch the Cody and Seth match. So maybe I'll talk about it next week or maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) No promises for me. (laughs) 
Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? All right, Christian, next week we're going to break down episode four of Obi-Wan, and we'll also be reviewing the first three episodes of season three of The Boys. And apparently Damon's going to review all of Hell in a Cell by himself. The only way that's happening is if the Fiend comes back with his giant hammer. And only to be disqualified again. (laughs) That's how they roll the WWE. So, all right. We're also going to talk AEW, of course. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was the Amazing Nurture. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away.